0: Welcome back to our series called Big, Hairy, Audacious Questions. Today we ask, are science and Christianity incompatible? In other words, as is often suggested, must we choose between one or the other? We've all experienced the insinuation that there are two kinds of people, faith people and science people. As Stephen puts it in Nacho Libre, I only believe in science. Is there any truth to the idea that we cannot embrace both science and Christianity? That is the question we will discuss today. Not long ago, someone I know actually said these words to me. My husband doesn't go to church because it's all about science. I've heard stuff like this for years. The fact is that many scientific people assume they would need to check their brain at the door if they were to attend a church. They just don't think they're going to have their brain enlightened. Another thing that scientific Christians sometimes do is to kind of separate their spiritual beliefs from science. When they show up at church, They just sort of of check out from reality like others of us might do at the movies. Worse, some Christians seem to think it's their duty to shun science in the name of faith as if that is what Jesus would do. Hopefully you agree that none of that seems right. So what other options do we have? Well, first we need to understand that we are talking about a false dichotomy when we pit science against faith or religion, as if one were for thinking people and the other for the type of person who believes in unicorns and Sasquatch. For the record, I do not believe in either of those. I promised I would answer the question of Sasquatch, right? It was even in our ad. It's on our shirts. And there you have it, folks. He's fun to play around with and joke about. And I wouldn't even mind if he became sort of the team mascot for our church because of the fact that he sort of communicates our place in the Pacific Northwest. And and putting him on our T-shirts is all in good fun. But to be clear, Squatch ain't real, folks. Sorry. Sorry. Not even a chance. More to the point, science and Christianity are not mutually exclusive. We're not mindless believers in something that is scientifically disproven. Christians believe in things like gravity, and the law of entropy, and math. We don't believe there's a missing link to be found somewhere out in the woods. And for the record, neither does science. You might have to think about that for a minute, but it's true. See, in fact, we agree with science and we support science most of the time. We might even say all the time, when science is really science, that being a method for finding out the truth. Let me simply state this. Science and Christianity are not at war. In reality, science owes its very foundation to Christianity. That is an established historical fact. Christianity actually incentivized science as a discipline. Believe it or not, Christendom it was, who hired scientists and paid for their research even as science was becoming a thing. Christians set up the very institutions where the earliest scientists were educated. I'll be talking a bit more about that in a few weeks when we get to the fifth big, hairy, audacious question. But right now, I'll simply proclaim the fact that true science and true Christianity have actually been very helpful to each other even since before the period of history when science first became known as a discipline. That's great pastor, but then why does it seem like science and Christianity are at war? Because it does seem like that sometimes, doesn't it? And here's where it gets difficult. Listen carefully. While science and Christianity are not at war, let me be very clear that naturalistic evolutionism and Christianity are, in fact, at war. Naturalistic evolutionism and Christianity are dichotomous. These are opposing forces, at least in terms of the fight for truth. Naturalistic evolutionism and Christianity are at war. So... As a matter of primary importance, please understand that evolutionism is not technically science. Hence the "-ism", suffix. Whether or not evolutionism is true, whether or not it's true, please simply realize this, that evolutionism is a belief. And while I'm well aware that most of the scientific community adheres to this belief, that does not make evolutionism synonymous with science. Why? Because science is not about and has never been about and can never be about what the majority believes. Science is not majority opinion. As as soon as you're talking about something that most scientists believe, you are no longer talking about science. In fact, modern evolutionism itself is actually born out of naturalism, which is Zealously committed to the presupposition that there is no need for a supernatural cause behind anything that exists in the universe. Naturalism is a belief system, a way of looking at things, a presupposition, and specifically the one contending that everything can be explained by science. Uh Aha. So there's the circle and the link to science, but it is important to maintain the distinction. So again, Naturalism is not the science itself, but the belief that science can explain everything, or that it will eventually be able to explain everything. But then what is evolutionism? Well, evolutionism is simply the the current mechanism that adherents of naturalism are using to defend their belief that the existence of everything can be explained by science. That nothing exists outside of the cosmos. Or as the king of naturalists Carl Sagan put it, the cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever shall be. Almost sounds like scripture, doesn't it? Translated, there is nothing supernatural in existence. Further defined, there is no God. Indeed, this is a statement of faith. Impossible to prove through science by definition. And yet a documentary that begins with Sagan orating this self-pinned verse has been shown in our science classrooms for decades. But again, is such a claim really science? Certainly not. It is a belief. It's a philosophy. Maybe even a religion. Naturalism evolutionism note the ism at the end of those words the truth is that evolutionism based on naturalism forms a belief system one that is in fact embraced by many prominent scientists today and they encourage each other along in these beliefs and they they kick out those who disagree but the thing to remember is this pure science can never be defined or confined by a belief system. In fact, when science becomes defined as or confined to a set of beliefs or a first-order belief, it is simply no longer science, but rather is degraded into nothing more than a means to an end. This is perhaps the difference between much of today's science and the science of yesterday, that so few scientists today seem to be asking, What if we have been wrong? Now, by the way, some have done exactly that. And some have even written books to scientifically explain how naturalistic evolutionism simply must be wrong. But those who make these cases, even as scientists are most often censored from the public, having been excommunicated from their field in the absence of the legal plausibility of burning such a heretic at the stake, to protect the children from such dangerous ideas. Additionally, you should consider what it takes to become a quotable, published, or otherwise prominent scientist at this point in our history. I assure you, adherence to naturalistic evolutionism is usually required, but even at the cost of their careers and the loss of their platform, Plenty of gifted, highly intelligent scientists still refuse to adhere to naturalism, and even some of those who are naturalistic nonetheless reject evolutionism on scientific grounds. Good news! This means that when you and I do not embrace naturalistic evolutionism, we are not rejecting science any more than plenty of genius-level scientists and even many faithless scientists have done. And that's true even if they are currently in the minority. Personally, I, I, I can be happy living with the brilliant minority any day. I'm getting more and more used to it, actually, no problem. But get this fact, if nothing else, true science can never be held hostage to a belief system, whether it's the belief system of the majority or not. Now I don't claim to be a professional scientist, but I do love science. Why? Because I believe real science automatically establishes truth, which in turn declares the glory of God. As a follower of Christ and a creationist, it is important to remember that my problem is not with science, but with secular humanist propaganda masquerading as science. And as any student of history knows, propaganda in itself can be a very powerful force to create new majorities, Until entire nations and cultures follow each other right into destructive error. Naturalistic evolutionists have attempted to convince each other as well as you and me that we cannot possibly appreciate science without embracing a view of the universe that seeks to portray God or any supernatural force as obsolete and unworthy of consideration. But in this they exceed the scope of science. By definition, I'll put it this way. If you must embrace naturalism to be considered a serious scientist, your science is no longer serious. Just in case you want to write that down, I'll say it again. (laughs) If you must embrace naturalism, the idea that there's nothing supernatural, naturalism to be considered a serious scientist, your science is no longer serious. You see, to declare that you believe that the origins of all matter and even life can be explained by science is no less a statement of faith than to say that God did it. The Bible says the heavens are declaring the glory of God. When's the last time you looked at the stars on a clear night? Away from the city. For that matter, when's the last time you got away from the city? It's, it's, that's the first step. I'm just happy. I mean. But because of the lights, to get away from the city, I dare you to get out into a field on the countryside, take your family on a clear night, and look at the stars and keep on looking, and understand at a deeper level that the heavens declare the glory. Is there no room for self-evident truth about God within science? Says who? And what if science winds up leading people to declare the glory of God? This happened frequently before the field of science became a tool in the hands of naturalists. So again, where is the real battle that makes it seem like Christianity is at war with science? Well, it's the battle over whether or not there might be a supernatural source behind the existence of things. And further, whether or not the biblical description and concept of creation is irreconcilable with so-called mainstream modern science. Uh Uh-oh. Am I starting to lose somebody who was hoping I was just gonna keep with the generalities? No, this is the point at which there really is a war. Though again, not with pure science because science cannot technically rule out the supernatural. I've already explained that the war is not actually with science but with naturalistic evolutionists who are currently at the helm of the scientific community. But perhaps even more so, this war is also breaking out among Christians as we see more and more of us saying things like, well, why couldn't God have used evolution to create stuff? I kind of feel like we just got a little, more, a little bit uncomfortable in here. Like maybe I was preaching to the choir until this moment. You see, that question assumes we're left to guess about how God created life When, in fact, the book of Christianity, the Bible, tells us that God created the heavens and the earth suddenly. And that he created it out of nothing. Ex nihilo in the Latin. The Bible clearly describes a supernatural creation where God spoke and stuff appeared. Not a natural process in which... God simply watched over or at best guided the evolutionary mechanism. The Bible tells us God created various kinds of life and that they reproduced according to their kinds, not that he created just one amoeba and then waited for the magic of time and evolution to do their work over the next several billion years. We're told that man was created from dust And life was breathed into his nostrils from God. It was personal. It was intimate. It was in a moment. Then Adam was made to sleep and God actually did surgery on him to create woman. And he brought her to the man to be his companion and helper. Throughout the Bible, these accounts are referred to not as mythological representations of something that happened naturally over time, but as accurate historical accounts of precisely how God brought life to this earth. Well, pastor, it's just hard to believe. It's just hard to believe. I get it. I tend to think skeptically about such things. Like I said, I don't believe in Sasquatch. But at some point, we are going to have to believe that God has done and is going to do some crazy, miraculous, supernatural things. Or else, why would we believe in something like heaven? I mean, if you don't believe what God has said in his word about the supernatural way he created everything. I'm not sure why you would have hope in eternal life in the Garden of Eden 2.0. As if that were going to somehow, somehow happen naturally. Is paradise coming back around naturally? That's not what I'm seeing. Remember last week's question? Is the Bible really from God? If indeed the Bible is from God, we're not left to ponder if perhaps humans came from apes which ultimately came from one single amoeba. No, not if the Bible is from God. Again, the Bible tells us flat out that God spoke each life form into existence and each according to its kind and that each kind reproduced according to its kind. God has clearly revealed to us that One kind did not come into existence from another kind. And please realize that this claim from the Bible is fundamentally contradictory to the brand of evolutionism of which I speak. Though again, what God said happened is not actually contradictory with science itself. The point is that if you believe God created kinds, which produce, reproduced according to kinds, you do not believe in naturalistic evolutionism, wherein everything developed from one single-celled organism. But the even bigger point is that rejecting this belief system does not mean you are rejecting science. No doubt, devotees of naturalistic evolutionism promote their belief system in scientific terms, from a scientific platform, generally as scientists. And because as the current majority, they have successfully commandeered the name of science on the public stage, they have also managed to convince the masses that we must not question their belief. That naturalistic evolutionism is proven beyond doubt. An absolute truth in which our children must be taught. And many have believed this dogma just as easily as others have followed after cults. It is amazing how people simply believe what they hear when it's stated emphatically, especially these days when it's presented as science. Although I must say that if there's one good thing that came from the pandemic, it might be that people are starting to get onto this fact that so-called science is not always necessarily really science. Now, for the naturalistic evolutionists, the inconvenient truth is that the majority of scientific facts flat-out do not support their case. For example, the fossil record demonstrates a forest of life, not a tree of life. A few of you might get that. The fossil record shows us a forest of life coming down from kinds, a forest of life, branching different things, coming down from many different kinds not a tree of life coming down from one that's not what the fossil record shows us I'm pointing out that that in the fossil record we see multiple trees not one tree each kind has diversified into branches like a tree but in the fossil record it simply doesn't all go back to one kind it's a forest not a tree Kinds are linked to themselves, but not to each other. This is hardly debatable. The fossil record shows us kinds reproducing according to kinds, which do indeed diversify and change while continuing to maintain their integrity within that particular kind. This is what we see in the fossil record. But what drives the movement of evolutionism is not so much scientific fact like the fossil record, but rather a humanistic and naturalistic ideology, one which can be summed up in this three word sentence, Who needs God? Anticipating this, the Bible says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And that was the introduction. (laughs) We're going to talk about three larger areas within this debate as I continue to try to show that Christianity is not incompatible with real science. By the way, I decided last night... (laughs) To split this into two messages. So, we'll only cover half of this today. We might even be a little short today. We'll see. You're welcome because we'd have been here all day. First of all, let's talk about the first area we're going to discuss macro versus micro evolution one of the tricky things in a talk like this is making sure you know what I am not saying for instance the concept of natural selection natural selection within a kind is entirely provable and observable and there is a part of this is a part of real science natural selection the law of natural selection is verifiable scientific fact that's why it's considered a law not a theory like evolutionism Beneficial genetic mutations and adaptations which are passed down through reproduction until that particular kind both diversifies and changes is observable, well-proven science. This is part of why I believe that God originally created just one kind of most plants and animals, just one archetype of each type, that which we now generally consider to be a species, although I wouldn't necessarily limit to any particularly. Any, any particular man-made classifications. You know we invented those, right? What's a species? What's a class? What's a, we, we, that's just our way of trying to understand things. We've come up with that. So I'm not even limiting it necessarily just to species, but that's the basic idea, that God made a kind. The idea is that God created the dog kind, which was probably something like modern-day wolf, and now we have domestic dogs, hyenas, coyotes, dingoes, and all the rest. Poodles, that may have been an alien (laughs) situation. I don't know. Sorry. We won't get into directed panspermia today. Um, If you know what that is, you can chuckle. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) By the way, this idea that God just created one of the kinds and then they diversified over time also explains how everything could fit on Noah's ark. I don't have time to go there today, but listen Christians should never shy away from the fact that natural selection is a very real mechanism for variation within a particular kind. Some have called this micro evolution. Not a problem. Scripture tells us God created these archetypes and they reproduced according to their kind. We can see that God created things with an amazing capacity for variation, which brings even greater glory to God. He probably didn't start off with thousands of colors of butterflies that would have been too easy. Instead, got placed in the genetic makeup of butterflies, almost limitless possibilities for variation, while also protecting the general integrity of the kind. This variation within a kind is how we wound up with gorgeous redheads like my wife, my daughter, and my son, who may not appreciate being called gorgeous, but he'll get over it, God created plants and animals with an amazing ability to proliferate in variation until we now have hundreds of thousands of variants among every overarching kind. This is simply the way God designed things. From Genesis chapter 1, And God said, Let the earth bring forth every kind of animal. And so it was. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to reproduce more of its own kind. And God saw that it was God. Scripture goes on to say the same thing about marine life, birds, and every other class of creature, that they were created to reproduce according to their kind. That's why dogs don't mate with cats and cheetahs don't mate with chimpanzees. But this much is true. Life forms change. They adapt. Mutations happen. Some of those mutations are beneficial for survival or reproduction, and so they get uh, bred down the line until later creatures have certain characteristics that can be fairly different from the original. Microevolution is observable scientific fact. What is not observable in any way whatsoever is what I'm calling macroevolution, which is evolution from one kind to another, wherein one celled organisms supposedly evolved over billions of years through various transitional forms until all the variety of life we now have, including human beings, had evolved their way into existence. The evidence for such a theory simply does not exist. Again, the fossil record is a forest, not a tree. Many leading paleontologists today, those who study the fossil record, have admitted that the evidence for macroevolution is just not there. They can only guess as to why such evidence remains in hiding, since they still hold that it must have happened in spite of what the fossil record shows. Why do they insist that we will eventually find the evidence? Because macroevolution is the only naturalistic explanation they have. It's literally the only non-supernatural theory that they have been able to come up with. They believe it by necessity. They have no other theory. That's why they keep putting out those pictures, you see, of fish turning into amphibians, amphibians into reptiles, into birds, all the way through apes and men. What you need to know is that this isn't science, but rather it is actually artwork. That's all it is. People draw pictures. To illustrate what they believe happened, even while the real fossil evidence stands in direct contradiction to those drawings. So remember, students, those famous pictures of macroevolution in your textbooks and in the museums are not evidence, they're just artwork. One by one, real science has ruled out most of the very few so-called transitional forms that they thought the fossil record might have produced. By the way, they don't need just one transitional form between things, they need thousands of almost on the way. But even the one they've found, many times they wind up ruling out. Unfortunately, many textbooks and professors and certainly museums are out of date. They don't worry about it though, because they figure the end justifies the means and people like Bill Nye, the so-called science guy, have a strong conviction that they must give their lives to save the children. From the dangerous myth that they were created by God. Men like Bill and I are no less preachers than I am, by the way. Only we start with different presuppositions as well as different goals. We also serve different masters, but let's not get too spiritual today. Again, our war is not with science. Because one of the world's leading paleontologists, Dr. Niles Eldridge, wrote, We paleontologists have said that the history of life, that's what they, that's when they say history of life, they mean the fossil record, supports the story of gradual adaptive change. If you read the whole thing, he's talking about naturalistic evolution. All the while really knowing that it does not. Oh well. And then he goes on to say, we still know that we're right. Because after all, science. <laughs> I'm a little snarky today, I'm sorry. <laughs> he later justifies the deception by saying that the evidence will eventually be found. Darwin said this too, by the way. He admitted the evidence wasn't there yet. And that future generations of scientists would need to find thousands upon thousands of transitional forms within the fossil record. Only it just hasn't happened. Because they just aren't there. Listen, the fossil fossil record does not support broad scale or macroevolution from one species to another, one kind to another. Several prominent scientists have admitted this today. But remember, these aren't just scientists. They are true believers sold out to their belief system just as much as I am to mine, which would be fine if they would just stop calling it science. By the way, what do I wish they would do in our schools? Hmm, we're, we're in school right now. Maybe the walls have ears. What do I wish they would do in our schools, our public schools? Do I wish they would teach creationism as science in public schools? No, not really. Why? Because creationism isn't science. It's a belief system. What I wish is that they would stop trying to teach kids about the origins of the universe as if science had those answers when it does not. Teach real science, not naturalism's dubious mechanism called evolutionism. By the way, it's the videos that are the worst, usually, not the teachers. But let me open up another window for just a moment. I'll go ahead and dare to get scientific about macroevolution. Think about this. For macroevolution, that is amoeba to human evolution, to be true, there would need to be a process for adding genetic information to an organism. Can you see that to get from an amoeba to a human, or even a duck to a human, genetic information would have to be added somewhere along the way. It's, it, it is a fact that additional genetic information is required if a reptilian scale is going to somehow evolve into a wing for example, much more genetic information. Scales don't make wings fly, make things fly without more genetic information, to say nothing of something like an eye. But folks, mutation can only take information away. Mutation removes data, like when a ray of sunlight takes out part of your gene code in a cell and you get skin cancer as it replicates that mutation. Mutation takes away information. It takes it out. There is no mechanism in nature that is known to add genetic information to the genome of a creature. And folks, there are literally no examples of such a thing ever having occurred. Hear me say this plainly. Scientists cannot produce one single example of a gain in genetic information from mutation, through mutation, not one. Now, they can show you a species of beetle that lost its ability to fly in an environment where flying had a negative impact on survival, like if it resulted in beetles being swept out into the ocean to their deaths, and therefore those that couldn't fly reproduced until they all couldn't fly. But they can't show you something that couldn't fly before, and now it can fly because of mutations, or even almost. Mutation removes information from what was there before. It does not add information. Evolutionists can show you a group of beetles that's lost its wings or a kind of fish that's gone blind in caves, but those aren't examples of evolution, folks. Those are examples of de-evolution. Mutation simply does not add genetic information to an organism. I got to stop. It's just, there's, this, there's this awesome video clip where a creationist asks this question of a dude named Richard Dawkins. It's the best. I, and I'm, I'm sorry for the snarkiness. Somebody's probably going to scold me for my attitude today, but we deal with this all the time, don't we? Like, this is my chance! <laughs> so, this, this creationist, brilliant, genius creationist, is asking Richard Dawkins, who wrote a book called The God Delusion and makes his whole life about this. Yes, Richard Dawkins, can you give me one example? Of a, genetic, of a mutation that added genetic information to the genome, to the genes of an organism. And he just went blank. And the video just goes on and he's just like, And he's just blank. It goes on for a really long time and he finally asked him to turn off the camera. It's awesome. <laughs> mutation does not add genetic information to an organism. Put another way, evolution cannot be shown to create anything that wasn't already there. Any scientist would have to admit that it is impossible to go from an amoeba to an ape without adding genetic information. It's completely impossible. And yet, in all the records of life, in all of observable science, there's not one example of a mutation or any other mechanism by which genetic information was added to an organism. What I'm telling you is that macro evolutionism offers absolutely no viable explanation for what we believe God created. The Bible says, faith convinces us that God created the world through his word. This means what can be seen was made by something that could not be seen. That's not scientific, you say. No? Well, what if it's true? Is it scientific then? Or is science no longer about finding out the truth? What if the truth is that God made you in his image? What if science has no explanation? What if science points to a supernatural beginning? What if a supernatural ending is coming? What if God told us all about it? What if you've been looking for answers in the wrong place? What have you believed? Who have you believed? I'm going to finish this sermon next week. But in the meantime, keep asking yourself this question. Who have I believed? Is it God? By the way, today was the easy part. Next week, it's a little more challenging, a little more specific. We get a little bit more into that war that's going on in our own Christian bubble hope you won't miss it let's pray father your word is so clear and it tells us there are going to be many many lies many many efforts to confuse us to throw us off to cause us to question you what you've said what you are saying You warned us. God, help us to turn our hearts back to you and embrace everything that you have said and everything that you are saying by your spirit. It's so important, Lord, that we not allow anything to wash away our understanding that we are your creation, that you breathed your life into us, that we were made in the image of God. That we were placed to rule over the over the world, after the over the creatures, over, to, to have dominion, to care for. But to have dominion over this world. That we're here as, as as co-laborers with you, as people that have been given a job to do by our Creator. And this is where we find purpose. And hope for an eternity to spend with you after you've dealt with all of the curse and the sin that has caused so many problems in this failing creation the new heaven and earth that's coming that we look forward to the blessed hope that we have in christ's return it all starts with our understanding that you breathed it into life in the first place renew our faith god Help us to have answers for those who would ask us to give the reason for the hope that we have. Help us to be evangelists and truth sayers as it says there in that verse in 1 Peter three fifteen. 15 that we would do so with gentleness and respect. But Lord let us not use that as an example for hiding and failing to Speak a prophetic word when it's needed. To speak truth and power and full conviction. As the Apostle Paul said of his own preaching, Lord, let us not be cowering any longer. We don't have to check our brains at the door. We could educate ourselves. We can be ready. We can be bold. I pray that in some small way you might have even used this short talk to help somebody with this and further next week. Thank you for the opportunity God to lead a congregation to shepherd this flock to be a light on a hill to be difference makers to change our families and our circles of influence in our community and even our world. Lord, use us. We need you to work through us. We can't be smart enough. It's not going to work. I pray for spiritual power that we might have that those who don't have you don't have. Make us a powerful people in the true sense of the word and the kind of power that you would have for us that others might believe that we might, as your word says, persuade as many as possible even. Let us stop with the cowering and the circling of our wagons and the hiding out and wanting to go into communes and just not talk to anybody because we feel inadequate and unsure. Lord, make us strong. Make the church strong, Lord. Make this church strong. Filled with people who are not afraid. Do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.